Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast here on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Joining me once again for today's conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, welcome back. Thank you for joining our clients, our listeners here on a Thursday morning. Looking forward to our conversation. Hey, Sam. It's good to be with you again. Absolutely. So, uh, Shane, I do want to up front continue our coverage of negotiations to avert a shutdown of the U.S. government. We've been speaking about this for about a month now, though, with the deadline just a couple of days away, we're getting down to the wire. So where do we stand with negotiations as of today? Yeah, I mean, negotiations are mostly uh, internal between Republicans right now in the House trying to figure out how they can move forward. You know, um, in the Senate, you have kind of a bipartisan deal that is moving along. It hasn't passed yet, but um, I think right now it's it's um, uh, moving ahead. But there, you have some Republicans in the Senate who are starting to pump the brakes because they recognize that even if they do pass it, the House uh, Republican leadership won't bring it up for a vote. So we're headed towards a shutdown. And, you know, a shutdown will essentially start Sunday, but, you know, Monday would kind of be the first day that, you know, we all wake up and maybe, you know, see uh, the beginning impacts of a shutdown. I think most people I'm talking to, it's not a question of, you know, will a shutdown happen, but it's how long will it last? Is this just a few days or is it a few weeks? And, you know, what is the way out of it? I don't think... um, We've seen really any uh, forward momentum on kind of a solution. Um, so I think the, the the solution that eventually gets us out of the shutdown is is still um, you know uh, in the making. You know we haven't seen anyone come up with a, a plan to us that seems like that's the path forward. I think you know Republicans are trying to figure out you know where they want to make some cuts so that they can show that they cut spending, but also are looking for something on, you know, border security or something else that they can um, show to their voters that, you know, they got a, a win. But all of this remains fluid. And I think it, the likelihood is that, you know, it'll be fluid for at least another week where, you know, the shutdown starts to take hold and that, you know, pushes lawmakers really to a more serious uh, negotiating stance. So, Shane, just to help us manage expectations in terms of impact, duration of the shutdown, what kinds of services would be impacted and how long do you suspect the shutdown might last? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because there are some things that will be, you know, a little bit more immediate and there'll be other things that take, you know, three, four weeks for an impact to be felt. You know, I think maybe first um, and, uh, and maybe most important to many of our listeners is that, you know, services and recipients of Medicare and Social Security, you know, there really isn't going to be an, imp- an immediate impact. You know, checks will continue to go out. Um, if you're on Medicare, you'll still see your doctor, et cetera. Um, more immediate may be things like uh, SNAP, which is food stamps, um, kids who get um, subsidized uh, lunches at, at school. Those sorts of things may be more immediate. Um, and then there are things that like um, air travel, you know, TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, where their workers will probably continue to work, but without pay. 
And from the last shutdown um, in 2018, 2019, what we saw there was, you know, they continued to work, but eventually as they got close to that first monthly payment that they wouldn't get paid for, they started to walk off the job and that helped actually push lawmakers towards um, reaching a deal. So I, I think there'll be kind of a, this will be a rolling thing where some impact will be more immediate and some will take, you know, weeks, if not a month to actually see an impact. And, and those are important from the perspective of uh, being pressure points. And I think one thing that is, could be interesting is how the administration um, chooses to to do this. You know, there is some flexibility within the administration of how to operate. And, you know, if, if the Biden administration wants to put a little bit more pressure on Republicans, they can find ways to do that um, with how they um, administer some services or, you know, uh, maybe just even have people who process passports not to go to work. So people who are uh, looking to travel may have a tougher time, and that could serve as a pressure point. We shall see what the next couple of days have in store. We'll, of course, keep our listeners informed as we head into next week, though. Thank you, Shane, for bringing us up to speed on where this stands today and helping us manage expectations in terms of the extent of the impact of a shutdown. So I do want to switch gears a bit because last night, Wednesday night, we did see the second GOP presidential debate. Uh, this took place at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California, which which is a, a neat site for the debate with Air Force One, Marine One there near the stage. Though, what were some of the highlights, themes from this debate, and any candidates in particular stand out to you? Yeah, no, I, I love the imagery of Air Force One. Thanks for, for mentioning that. I always think that's very cool. But um, yeah, in this debate, um, it was a little bit smaller field as uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson wasn't there, but we still had uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, Ambassador Haley, uh, former VP Mike Pence, Senator Tim Scott, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, former Governor Christie, and Governor uh, Bergram. So, you know, a full um, stage, uh, which, you know, led to a lot of back and forth uh, in about two hours of, of the debate. And even, you know, I think uh, one of the moderators had to threatened Governor Bergram that she was going to cut off his mic at one point. So, you know, you saw a lot of topics covered. I think to me it was very notable on the China and economy sections. You know, uh, China was an opportunity for some uh, people to go after Vivek Ramaswamy and also even President uh, Trump. So I think, though, you know, trying to figure out who had a good debate, you know, I, I think Nikki Haley probably had uh, one of the stronger debates. And I also think Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, in my opinion, didn't really, you know, do anything to catapult his stature. But he had a much better better debate than the first debate where he was kind of a sideline. So this one felt like he actually showed up to an extent. Um, I would say, you know, Chris Christie kind of uh, went after former President Trump, as uh, everyone expected him to do in the first debate. And, you know, I think that helped, but, you know, I don't, again, I don't think that really uh, gives him enough momentum to, to, you know, start to outshine the others. Um, I did think that, you know, Mike Pence probably had the worst debate of everyone. Um, you know, he didn't really, there weren't any, you know, um, death blows, you know, to kill his 
uh, campaign. Uh, but, you know, he didn't really do himself any favors. And I think overall he maybe was the weakest. There was a lot of um, pig pile on Vivek Ramaswamy. I think um, some of the more established candidates are a little frustrated by the intrigue in his candidacy and are trying to, you know, uh, sideline that and move on quickly. But it was an interesting debate. Uh, but obviously, you know, that's not the last uh, we're going to hear from a lot of these candidates. Well, to that point, Shane, as we look ahead, what's coming up next on the campaign trail? Anything in the way of milestones that we should be aware of? Yeah, no, I think uh, there is one more debate that uh, has been scheduled on um, November 8th. So we have that just um, over a month away. I think in between, though, we're going to see if maybe one of these two candidates, um, you know, um, fall out of the race. And if one of the candidates really starts to consolidate power, um, a lot of polling in early states are, are interesting because you're seeing Nikki Haley gain much more attention, um, especially in New Hampshire. Uh, some of the polling in um, Iowa is that uh, there are a significant number of Republicans looking for someone other than Trump to vote for. Um, but, you know, what we have to see, I was uh, caucuses until January. You know, we'll see if that is just kind of um, talk or if that actually translates to one person, you know, kind of um, posing a real challenge to Trump. Right now, I don't think uh, that will actually happen and materialize. But, you know, um, if we see a lot of these candidates jump out and one person consolidates the power uh, sooner rather than later. I think that uh, provides an opportunity for one person to be an alternative candidate to Trump in the Republican primary. Well, it is always fascinating to see how these campaigns evolve. And in the months ahead, of course, we'll have plenty else to catch our listeners up on with respect to Decision 2024. Though, Shane, as always, I thank you for dropping by the podcast today to keep our listeners importantly informed on the status of the government shutdown negotiations. We'll, of course, follow up on that next week. And thank you as well for the insights into the debate last night. Great to be with you as always, Dan and um, have a great weekend. I look forward to catching up with you next time. Sounds good. Thank you, Shane. Again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Before we close out, I do want to point out to our clients, our listeners, you can locate the latest Washington Weekly publication on the Internet site, UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. Again, that's UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 